0: Okay, if you would like to turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to continue in Acts chapter 2. We're looking at verse 37 through 47. Again, please do continue to read through this context. Context is key. It's main reason... Why many people are in gross error in this day because context is left out. And we take individual texts and we put our own bent on them. We shape them according to what we want them to say. Rather than exegesis, we give eisegesis. And we make them say what we want to say. But what we want to do, what we should do, what we need to do, is to go into them and ask God to show us what they contain. What the Bible tells us, what God tells us. And that is by his grace and by his help, what we endeavour to do. So we've looked already into these verses, the first two verses. We looked at how these men of Israel who were in the crowd that day heard That they heard and they were pierced through, they were pricked in their heart, they were crushed by the knowledge that they had crucified their Messiah. And that their response to this, that as we read these we can tend to read through them and just speak very plainly, without any emphasis, what shall we do? but their cry was much greater than what we read or how we emphasise at times. They were broken. I think I mentioned it in one of the messages previously, but in the revival at Lewis, the Isle of Lewis in Scotland, there were people, young people, who were on the floor, almost holding on to the pulpit, crying out, is there mercy for me? Because they were almost on the precipice of hell. That's what I believe this cry was. What on earth are we to do? And so in that response, Peter replied to them. And he told them what they must do. We must repent. We must turn away from all that we've known. All the sin All the life that we've lived for ourselves outside of God and his kingdom. We've got to leave that behind. And we've got to turn to the living God. And the promise is that we will have the remission of sins. In the name of Jesus. We're commanded to not only to repent but to be baptised. Isn't it baptism that saves? Jesus Christ and his work saves. But in baptism we are publicly declaring that we are his and that we've died to sin and that we're alive to Christ. And then we come to the last part. Of verse 38. Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We read in John 14 the promise of his coming. It says in John 14. Verse 15 through 17. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus said. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And verse 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said to you. Notice in that earlier part it says he dwells with you and shall be in you. That is the promise of which Peter speaks of here. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It also says when the Comforter is come whom I will send unto you from the Father even the spirit of truth which proceedeth from the father he shall testify of me acts 1 4 and 5 this is as they assembled together this is jesus command before he ascended it says being assembled together with them he commanded them that they should not depart from jerusalem but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptised with water, but ye shall be baptised with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. We know that it was ten days after this that Pentecost came. Also in John 14:18, Jesus tells the disciples that he wouldn't leave them comfortless some translations use the word orphans and that really is what the word means the word used here is orphanos which means an orphan he's not going to leave them he's going he's leaving and they they're cut up they're upset Wouldn't you be if you'd spent three and a half years with Jesus being involved and seeing everything that he'd done and also having the revelation that he is indeed Jesus Christ, the son of the living God? And all of a sudden he's telling them that he's leaving. They didn't know or understand or appreciate what this spirit of God was, who he is. But he promises them, I won't leave you comfortless. I won't leave you as orphans. I won't leave you bereaved, without a parent or fatherless. We contrast this with what it says in Romans 8, verse 14 through 16, where Paul says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption Whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. What a promise. This is all inclusive of what Peter was saying here when he said you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Then it comes to the day, the great day of Pentecost. And Jesus said to his disciples in Acts 1, verse 8, that you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. I want you to notice that it says that first. Then it says, and you shall be witnesses. Let me tell you this, friends, this morning. You can't be a witness for Christ without the Spirit of God. You must be full of the Spirit. Without it, just empty, dead words. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And here Jesus gives a clue, if you like, to the fact that this gospel is not for the Jews only. That in fact it's for all men, all women, all children throughout This whole earth. Acts 2 verse 1 through 4 says, And and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Jesus had told them to wait for the promise. And so they were all in one accord, waiting. Waiting for ten days. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here is the fulfillment of the promise the promise that Jesus gave. I will send to you another comforter. I won't leave you orphans. And earlier we read that the Holy Spirit dwells with you and shall be in you. And here it is. The New Testament church was born. Whereas in the old covenant, the Holy Spirit came upon clothed and filled certain people to fulfil certain roles, here the prophecy of Joel, as Peter later alludes to, came into fruition. The Spirit of God was being poured out on all flesh, not just a select few. He says that the Holy Spirit filled them all who were in the upper room. And if we read the context, we see that there was about 120 people gathering together in that place. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, 17, that the spirit of truth dwelleth with you and shall be in you. This is the promise not that he will just be clothing people. Not that he will just be coming upon people. But he is going to make you his home. See the disciples they, they had to wait until Pentecost. For the promise to be fulfilled. In them. Because the spirit had not yet come. But from that point onwards. Right until very end believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation and we see that clearly from this text that Peter said to them repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost this is all inclusive, it's all at once when you're born again You are indwelt by the Holy Ghost. We can look at people like Paul or Saul at the time. In Acts 9.17 it says, Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hand on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Saul was converted and Saul was filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts 10 verse 44 with Cornelius and the Gentiles. Some may refer to this as the Gentile Pentecost. The first one we see was where the Jews were filled with the Holy Spirit. Here we see the Gentiles filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 44 says, while Peter yet speaketh these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13 says, for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free. And have been all made to drink into one spirit. Again, Titus 3, verse 5 through 6. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We are regenerated. We are washed clean. We are renewed by the Holy Ghost. We can't be renewed by Him if He is not in us. And it says after that, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Ephesians 1 13 and 14. Speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, In whom you trusted, that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest, the down payment, if you like, The deposit of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. When we are born again of the Spirit, we are filled with the Spirit. When we are born again, we are filled with the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Spirit is given to us as a seal of promise, as a deposit to say this is a deposit to what your inheritance will be in its fullness you can't be saved and not be full of the spirit the two go hand in hand the Holy Spirit is the seal of your redemption it is the seal of your salvation Romans 8 verse nine says, "But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man not have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. The receiving or the indwelling of the spirit occurs at the moment of salvation the filling of the spirit is an ongoing process in the christian life in ephesians 5:18 we're warned or told or exhorted by paul don't get drunk on wine wherein is excess but be filled with the Spirit. We need to understand here that these letters by Paul are not written to the common man, but they're written to believers. They're written to the church. So he isn't just endorsing that unbelievers need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's saying to you, he's saying to the church, He's saying to God's people, he's saying to saints, don't get drunk on wine. Stop your excess. That's not the spirit you need. That be filled, continuous, tense. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. We also have a couple of similar things in, in the likes of Luke 11. Verse 13. Luke 11 is the scriptures where we read of of the the Lord's Prayer. And after this, he goes on to say, those that knock and keep knocking, those that seek and keep seeking, that they find. Those that knock and keep knocking, the door will be opened. Those that ask and keep on asking will receive. And at the end there, he says, How much more will God give the Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask and keep on asking? And again in Acts four thirty one we see the context here. This is after Pentecost. This is actually after Peter and John have healed the man at the beautiful gate. And they are standing in front of the council, the Sanhedrin, being accused of all sorts of things. And they stand and they defend themselves and the gospel. And afterwards, after they are given a few stripes, they go back to their own. They go back to the church. And they give thanks and they all give thanks together and they begin to pray. And they pray for boldness. Boldness. To declare the gospel everywhere they go. And what happens? The room that they were in was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Again. So we see that there is a continuousness. There is the fact that you are indwelt with the Spirit. The conversion. But your life lived. We need to keep being filled. We need to keep asking God to fill us with His Spirit. I want to read you a couple of comments here, one by John MacArthur, which says, this is is regarding Ephesians 5. True communion with God is not induced by drunkenness, but by the Holy Spirit. Paul is not speaking of the Holy Spirit's indwelling or the baptism by Christ with the Holy Spirit. Because every Christian is indwelt and baptised by the Spirit at the time of salvation. He is rather giving a command for believers to live continually under the influence of the Spirit by letting the Word control them. Pursuing pure lives, confessing all known sin, dying to self, surrendering to God's will and depending on his power in all things. Being filled with the Spirit is living in the conscious presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, letting his mind, through the Word, dominate everything that is thought and done. Being filled with the Spirit is the same as walking in the Spirit, which we read of in Galatians chapter 5. R.C. Sproul says these words, Be filled with the Spirit. This is better translated, be filled by means of the Spirit. While the sealing of the Spirit is a once-for-all initiation into the Christian life, the filling of the Spirit applies to all the Christian life. This filling is progressive and is to be sought on an ongoing basis. In the parallel passage in Colossians, Paul tells Christians to let the peace of God govern their hearts, and to allow the word of Christ to dwell in them richly. The one who is filled with the Spirit is filled with Christ, God, and his word. Very helpful. So let's just have a brief look then at the work of the Holy Spirit in us. John 16, verses 7 through 14. Jesus, again, says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me of righteousness because i go to my father and ye see me no more of judgment because the prince of this world is judged i have yet many things to say unto you but ye cannot bear them now how be it what he's saying here is you will be able to bear them. When he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he shall show you things to come. He shall glorify me, or he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. I remember hearing a snippet out of one of the messages of John MacArthur. And he was speaking about the people that are constantly living, talking, eating, breathing, sleeping, the Holy Spirit. And what what I mean by that is that that was their constant focus. Always the Holy Spirit. Not the Word of God, not Jesus Christ, but the Holy Spirit. That's all they wanted. We need the Spirit. We need the Spirit. All we need is the Spirit. So I needed to say that before... I read to you this little bit of John MacArthur, what he said, because I don't want you to take it out of context. Because we've already seen that we need to seek God, that the Spirit fills us. But due to those reasons I've just said, he said this, when the Holy Spirit is the one being sought, his work is being rejected. Christ is obscured, and Scripture is depreciated and he was speaking about ephesians 3 verse 16 and 17 and in his prayer he says that he would grant you paul is speaking that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man but then he tells you the reason That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. We've got to understand, friends, that a spirit filled person magnifies Christ and not the Spirit. It says, doesn't it? He shall not speak of himself. So anybody that is constantly speaking about the Holy Spirit and not Christ is actually not really speaking about the Spirit because the Spirit shall not speak of himself. He shall glorify me, Jesus said. So when we speak of Christ, when we're always speaking of Christ, when we're preaching the gospel, then what we're showing is That we're filled with the Spirit. We're constantly on about the Spirit, constantly seeking signs and wonders and, and miraculous manifestations, and that's all we live for. Then I say to you that that is not living by the Spirit. Because he doesn't magnify himself, he doesn't speak of himself. He magnifies Christ and glorifies him. So speaking of, of John then, that we've just read, when he is speaking to them about leading them or guiding them into all truth, in the first instance, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. We must never forget the context of these things. Far too quickly, we assume, that's me. He's speaking to me. This is about me. No, it's not. In the first instance, he's speaking to his disciples that the spirit of truth would lead them into all truth. John 14:26 again says, "The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. The apostles then were, were given the ability both to speak and to write the inerrant word of God by the power of the holy spirit upon them that is what it means when it says that he will lead them into truth that he will bring remembrance to them all that which i've said because they were going to write the gospels that's why initially this is speaking about jesus to his disciples that he led them into all truth that he gave them the ability to write the inerrant word of god And whilst the canon of scripture is closed and direct revelation from God has ceased, we can only understand the scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit. He not only illumines the scriptures in our hearts and minds to understand that word, but he also gives us the faith to believe them. He's a Bible scholar by the name of Spyros Zodiates. I don't know if you've heard of him. But he said this, in the New Testament especially, divine truth or the faith and practice of the true gospel is called truth. And I, I like that because it says the faith and practice of the true gospel is called truth not just talking about what we've read or what we know but the living of it that is called truth that is the truth speaking of john 16 verse 30 matthew paul says the word which we here translate as guide guide into all truth is a word of great emphasis it strictly signifies to be a guide of the way Not only to discover truth as the object of the understanding, but the bowing of the will to the obedience of it. This is not just about understanding the word. This is not just about the Holy Spirit enabling us to read this and say, yes, I get it. But it's to bring us to a faith and an action of the bowing of our will to the obedience of it. What do we read in scripture? Don't be just people who who know the word. What does James say? Be doers of it. Not only do we need to know, understand, read, be full of the word of God, and that's only attainable by the power of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. But we need to be doers of it. And again, we can only do that by the Spirit. That dwells within us. The life of a true believer is transformed by the indwelling of the Spirit. Think of David when the Spirit came upon him in power when he was anointed king, transformed his life. Think of Samson. Many times Samson is portrayed as some Arnold Schwarzenegger of the Bible. I don't know if you've ever seen any movies of him. But I've watched those and I think, I'm not really that surprised then that that he's so strong. I'm not so sure he was like that. I like to think of him as Mr. Muscle. The power of God came upon him. And he did amazing feats when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Think again of Gideon. The Spirit of the Lord clothed him, making him a mighty warrior. Bezalel and Oholiab, Oholiab, however you pronounce that, they were filled with the Spirit to build and to craft the tabernacle with perfect skill. then take a look at the disciples. In Mark 14, verse 50, we read that the disciples were in the garden of Gethsemane. What did they do? That verse there tells us that they all deserted Jesus. Peter vehemently denied even knowing him. And then after the death of Jesus, they hid themselves away for fear of the Jews. And when Mary Magdalene came and told them that she had seen Jesus, that he had risen, the apostles that Christ had chosen were unbelieving and hard of heart. But then comes Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit fell upon them, Peter stood with the eleven and boldly preach the gospel without fear they stood before the governing bodies refusing to cease preaching christ may god give us strength in these days to do such they received beatings and lashes and much persecution They were unable to speak and write God's word by direct revelation with the same authority and the same inerrancy as the Lord Jesus Christ himself. They were given power to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to drive out demons, to speak and interpret new languages without ever having learned them. And then look at the 3,000 in our context here. Acts 2, verse 41 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers and fear and the Lord added to the church daily as such as should be saved. These men were completely changed, they were transformed. And when we're filled with the Spirit, a conversion, this is what should be happening. We should be different, we should be changed. should be new creations not perfect the old man is dead scripture tells us a few times put on the new man the old man is dead being filled with the spirit of God the spirit of God in dwelling a believer should bring transformation So the Holy Spirit removes our heart of stone and he replaces it with a heart of flesh and causes his people to walk in his ways. Ezekiel 36, then I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness. From all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. The Holy Spirit enables us to trust in the Son to be justified by faith alone, setting us right before God to confess in truth that Jesus is Lord. We read in 1 Corinthians twelve three, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. And that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Your confession if it's true. It can only be true by the Spirit of God that lives in you. Many of those who confess the name of Jesus or God. But the reality is that the, the truth of it can only be by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit brings inward renewal to do good in gratitude. We see that in Romans 7, 4-6, but also in Hebrews twelve twenty eight. He says, wherefore are we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved... Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. The Holy Spirit persuades us that the scriptures are the word of God. It persuades us that they are the word of God through the word of God. If You read the Westminster Confession. It tells you in that that the reality of a person that really believes the word of God, the proof of it, the depth of it, is by the spirit of God. There's no, You can't take this and prove to anybody that God exists or that these scriptures are true, in a sense, just by giving them a book with words. I know because the spirit of God is within me and gives me that faith and knowledge that those scriptures are true. And he does it through the word of God itself. The Holy Spirit enables us to mortify the deeds of the flesh. Romans 8.13 For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. And the Spirit gives us assurance that we belong to God and causes our hearts to know that he is our Father. Romans 8, verse 15, 16 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And lastly, Galatians 5, verse 16 through 26 tells us, about the fruit of the flesh. And the fruit of the spirit. If we have the spirit of God. We will be bearing this kind of fruit. There will be progression. There will be times where we're not so. In all these things as we ought to be. But as a living principle. In our lives. Says this. I say then. Walk in the spirit. And ye shall not fulfill. Fulfill. The lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. Constant war. And these are contrary to one another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance emulations wrath strife seditions heresies envyings murders drunkenness revellings, and such like of the which i tell you before as i have also told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of god but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christs have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory provoking one another, envying one another. Those fruits, friends, should be in our lives if we are filled with the Spirit of God. I'm going to finish with Romans 8, verse 9. I want to go back because this is where we see a grievous warning. Romans 8 verse 9 says this. Now if any man not have the Spirit of Christ he is none of his. I mean that is a warning and a very, very grievous one. If any man not have the Spirit he is none of his. That means you are not a christian he says you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if so be the spirit of god dwells in you now if any man have not the spirit of christ he is none of his my question then is this do you belong to christ Are you a Christian? Does the Spirit of God indwell you? Because if you are His, then you can't not have the Spirit of God. But I want you—I want to ask you this morning to check. I think it's two Corinthians thirteen, verse five. Says, "Examine yourself." to see whether you are in the faith many people confess the Lord Jesus Christ but aren't Christians so they're not filled with the spirit of God they have no power to understand the word of God and that's why they end up in all kinds of errors and heresy but I ask you does the spirit indwell you today and do you know it Do you know that he does? Dear friends, today is the day of salvation, the scripture says. We must call one another to turn away from sin. I will not make the mistake of thinking or assuming that every single face that I see is a Christian. Too many people, too many places, too many churches, just assume. Only God knows your heart and your mind. Because you sit in this seat, it's not evident. It's not a bad place to be. But I am calling you today. You know yourself. You know your own life. You know your own mind. You know your own heart. You know if you know God. You know if you love God. You know if you desire him. You know what your life is. You know what your secrets are. You know whether you really want to live in the scriptures. You know whether you really want the spirit of God. You you know if you want to live for him. So I call you this morning. Examine yourself. Because if the spirit of God doesn't indwell you, you are not a Christian. So I call you today. Examine yourself. And if you find... That you're not a believer. Then I call you to repentance. I call you to turn to the living God this morning. To cast your sin upon him. Who paid for it. To turn away from it. And to ask him to indwell you. To receive the promise. Of the gift. Of the Holy Spirit. He will do all these things that we've looked at today. He will cause you. To love his word, to love his son, to love holiness, to understand progressively his word and to be empowered to mortify the sin that's in your flesh. I call you this morning to him. Be reconciled to God if you are not already. May God bless his word to us. Amen.